before we start today's episode, we wanted to thank our newest Patreon supporters, Aaron Cardell and Susanna McCandless. Thank you so much for your ongoing support. If you'd like to learn more about how to support the Dive in Justice podcast, visit us at patreon.com slash dive underscore in underscore justice. For all my shit talk, this one episode I'll say, you did all right. You did all right. DJ three. I'm so glad we have that recorded. I'm going to make sure to edit that part separate and just hit a button every time you act like you don't. Welcome to another episode of Dive In Justice, the podcast that explores building ideal community with our less than ideal selves. I am Delma Jackson. I am Shandine Garcia the first. Today, we're joined by an amazing, brilliant, incredible, loving, kind, all of these words and more person, Yane Soto Rodriguez, Deputy Director of Foundations for Better Oregon. We're super excited that she agreed to join us today in spite of the fact that you're my co-host, Delma. That is pretty amazing um, that she even knows you uh, at all. Honestly, it's pretty incredible. So, yeah, I'm happy to have her join us today. We want to start it off this episode the way we always do with our check-ins. So, uh, what is good with me? So, <clears throat> my... My high for this week and my low, as they often are, are kind of interconnected um, in the process of um, working with some folks to co-create system change work within a um, an unnamed financial firm. The firm has had some individuals within that have been focused on becoming more equitable in their worldview and, you know, bringing in a more social justice oriented lens to their work. And that's exciting. And I did a couple workshops for them. Um, and from there it kind of led into the possibility of doing more work with them as an institution and bringing in the center for whole communities and really connecting all mm-hmm. of us together in this journey. And mm-hmm. it's really exciting thinking about uh, communities, so-called communities of color, right? And what it means to come from historical legacies of poverty within a capitalistic system. And what does it mean to to get free, quote unquote. But on the flip side, the low is, it's hard to expect much from these sorts of systems. This is an international um, financial firm. Uh, They move something like $300 billion dollars a year. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to imagine that I'll be able to accomplish anything that feels useful mm-hmm. or real, tangible, yeah. etc. And then that causes me to question whether or not I'm even doing this for the right reason. I'm bumping up into like my own sense of authenticity in ways that aren't comfortable for me right now, you know, and questioning mm-hmm. The nature of my work. Um, I think oftentimes we have this internal debate 
that often goes unspoken where it's like we need money, but we see money as evil as the root of all evil. And so it's like, we want all of these resources, but we don't necessarily want to go through what it takes to capture those resources. Cause maybe it puts us in league with some folks who we have assumed um, are incapable of doing good work. Right. And I think that's what I'm grappling with right now. Sure. Yeah. It's a lot like the, our own personal grapples with one click by now. Amazon is also super convenient. Exactly. Are, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Which brings me back to that recording we had a while back where I mentioned buying something from Amazon and you pretended as though you'd never done that in your life only to have a package arrive that same episode or something. It was, it, was your, it was your confession. You know what I mean? I just wanted to give you the space to, to name and say, mm. and, and do. I also noticed that you didn't bring that up right away. You brought up this really deep, important, like amazing thing that you're grappling with, you know, because you want to impress our guest. And I'm just, just going to put that out there and you do with that what you will. Well, I think there's a difference between trying to impress someone and just being impressive. You dig what I'm saying? I, I Let's make that distinction. I absolutely do. You know, uh, uh-huh. I'm pretty confident uh-huh. like, which of the ones this one has landed. Yeah, I bet you are. <laughs> are you? Can we move on? Or yeah. we'll, we'll be back, folks, with our amazing guest. Thanks for indulging us. Stay tuned. Welcome back and welcome guest. We are super excited to have Yane Soto Rodriguez with us today. I'm going to briefly say a few things about her bio, but tell a small story that to me reveals so much more than her amazing bio does. And if those of you are interested on our website, we will link the information about our guest and who she is. You can read a little bit more about her there. She was a high school teacher. World history, not science. We thought science, but no. She was a teacher. She's worked, she's navigated the legislature, state agencies, local governments, was an economic and business policy advisor to Governor Kate Brown and a public affairs specialist for Governor John Kitzhaber. So worked for two governors here in Oregon. Uh, policy Analyst, advocate, brilliant, 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 brilliant. All of these brilliant strategists and more. When I met her, we were invited to be a part of this leaders network that was going on in Oregon. And um, there's something about automatically knowing you're with family when you meet somebody. And oftentimes I'm afraid to show up in my fullest being and my fullest humanity with people who aren't like my family. Cause I think they'll think it's weird or not understand it, right? All the racism and all those layers inside. When I first met uh, Yane, she was talking about needing to purchase something for a big event that she was going to, and she didn't have her vehicle. Her vehicle wasn't working. And so, because when you meet her, you just feel like your family. It didn't feel weird for me to say, just take my car. 
I'm going to be in Portland for the weekend. I'm staying at a friend's house. I don't need my card. Just take it. Most people who I would say that to would be like, no, 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 no. Like, I'm not like, like no, we don't lend people your car. Like, I, I don't, my, our car in my home is, is communal property. You like anyone can just take it and go. And so, um, and Yane's immediate response wasn't, no, 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 I don't. It was, oh my gosh, that would be so great. Could I use the car? And there was just something beautiful in knowing you're with someone whose family won't judge. Um, and then once upon getting to know her, you get to see her brilliance and wonderfulness. And so I thought she would be a perfect person to have us join, to join us on this podcast today. So welcome, Yane. We've got some questions we want to ask you, and we'll open with just, um, actually, I'll let Delma open since I introduced you, but i um, happy to take this conversation anywhere you want to take it. Yeah, uh, thank you, and welcome, Yana. It's good to have you here with us. I appreciate you taking out the time to, to do that, um, and I'll apologize for my co-host for using <laughs> a self-aggrandizing story to introduce you. <laughs> that was weird. Uh, but anyway, um, so good to have you. Um, one of the things that I think we always like to kind of open with um, gives us kind of the big picture piece, right? So I think what I'm interested in is how you conceive of the work that you do and how you conceive of what brought you to it in the first place why is this your work why is this your passion i love that question i also love shandine's introduction (laughs) i think that um to me a big part of community is is a vulnerability of being seen and 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 accepting um even if we've been hardened to to be self-sufficient and to be able to take care of ourselves and coming from um, not a resource rich background and often having experienced, um, not only being without a car, but also being without a home, um, that I have a lot of resource insecurity and that it's something that I have had to, um, overcome. Um, with regard to your question on the work that I do, one of the questions that I love is what are you obsessed with? the thing that you can't stop thinking about, the thing that wakes you up, the thing that shows up no matter what space you're in or what the work is. And I think that for me, the through line has been bridge building and connection and community and healing. And so I often say, you know, yes, when I went to become an educator, I chose specifically to go to a place where a mentor of mine said, hey, This is a place where I think having a Latina who has a college degree and who um, is not in a married and committed relationship would actually be a really great role model. Um, And so I went to a community that was 99% uh, Latino students in the school in which I taught. And uh, the one student that wasn't Latino was Black. Uh, So we had no white students in our school. And... I recognized very quickly that all of the professionals in that community largely were white. Most of the educators, most of the doctors, most of the lawyers, uh, most of the quote unquote professional credentialed degreed positions within the community. 
And I understood why my mentor specifically sought to send me to this place and thought that this would be a great place to go. And very quickly, I recognized that so much of my work was allowing myself to be seen so that the students could feel seen and valued as well. I remember my first day, I went in with all of my preconceived notions about how you're supposed to teach and how you're supposed to have your objective and, you know, your lesson plan. And my first student walked into my class and said, hey, miss, no offense. I don't even know you. So I'm going to tell you straight up. I don't like you and I don't like your class. I'm going to take a seat in the back. And if you leave me alone, I might leave you alone. And I remember I actually saw, I just let him go straight to the back of the classroom. And then I went and sat down in the seat next to him. And he said, he just looked at me sideways. And, and I think he fully expected that he had intimidated me. And in fact, he actually piqued my curiosity. And I sat down next to him and I was like, why exactly do you not like me? And why exactly do you not like this class? I just, I just want to be clear. And he said, you're a government teacher. The government's corrupt. It has never served me or my family. I live on the U.S.-Mexico border. It doesn't feel like I'm a part of Mexico. It doesn't feel like I'm a part of America. I really don't know what you are going to tell me or teach me about government that's going to make me feel in any way different about that. And so, you know, no shade to you because I don't even know you, but you're choosing to teach this subject. So I'm going to assume that we don't agree on a lot of things. And I said, let's bet on it. And he just, he just was just like, who is this person who's not backing down? And I said, I, I wonder if my having grown up for 17 years crossing the U.S. border two to three times a year over the course of that time in my life might not give me some perspective about what it is you are grappling with. And he sat up in his chair And he looked at me and it was just this moment of communicating without having the words to say, maybe we can see each other. And what I found myself doing that day was throwing out my lesson plans. And I just had students sit down and write, what is it about this class or this subject or school in general that overwhelms you or that you find confusing or that you have dissonance with? And then my approach to the work was really about how do I see you? How do I hear you? How do I model through my vulnerability and my willingness to share my story that we are connected, that we are all connected, and that so much of learning isn't about agreeing, but it is about being conscious consumers of the information that we have accessible and available to us to be able to ask questions about what is not available to us to be able to then be better consumers of all of the information that is offered. Thank you for giving Diamond Justice a listen. We recognize that your time is the most valuable currency you have. If you're digging the pod, there are a couple of things you could do to show your support. First, head over to your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds of your time. And every review helps us grow our listenership and broadens the conversations we can have together. The second thing you can do and should do 
is consider supporting the podcast by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash dive underscore in underscore justice. You know, fast forward, that student on graduation day uh, came to me, introduced me to his parents on the football field and was like, I want you all to meet the miss. And he's like, miss, I'm going to tell you today in front of my parents that I got accepted to college and I'm going to be a political science major. And I was like, so I won that bet. Right. And he just started laughing. And what I ended up doing over the course of that time was really connecting with the the children, their families. Um, and I found myself much, much more as a community organizer, um, felt a lot like my classroom was more of like a counseling and community building space. And launching from that to being an actual community organizer to working in campaigns and on social justice issues and for candidates. Again, I felt that the core of my work was really how do you galvanize and organize people? And then working for governors, it was really, again, connected to who are the impacted voices? Who are we seeing? Who are we hearing? Who are we co-creating with? You you talked about your role as a listener, your role as an, as an advocate, your role as a convener, and your specific role as a facilitator. The question that Delma and I have for you is, what part of your values do you find it hardest to embody? And what informs that? When I was born, um, my mother shared with me that it was the first time, and I'm the youngest of 11 children, she said it was the first time she had ever experienced postpartum depression. And I think that being born in the environment in which I was born, I was aware of my mother needs me to not cry. My mother needs me to be self-sufficient. And in that way, I discovered also that there are studies on children who grow up in environments in which that is a permanent condition through their early developmental years, that they actually cultivate this sense and don't lose it. And I really feel very deeply that that is something that I continue to have to this day. I can really feel people and I could really sense you're laughing and I know that you are deeply troubled. You are smiling and I can tell that you are incredibly uncomfortable. You are, and, and I bring that up to say that so much of my work has been, how do I not give all of myself to the practice or in my life? How do I recognize that I'm, I'm feeling overwhelmed, but what I'm feeling is actually your being overwhelmed And where I am, I am stable and I am fine. And so part of embodying my values has been a practice of developing consciousness of my own body and a healthy sense of boundaries. With regard to facilitation and practice, I have spent so much time... um, with individuals who fundamentally see the world in really different ways who have flat out told me you were the wrong person 
to be sent here. You have no business being here. Uh, and indicating that because of my immigration status or because of my age or my gender or because I'm from Portland and I'm being sent to a rural place in Oregon, that I am absolutely the wrong person. And I have no problem leaning into that space in the same way that I did with that student to find out why and to, to create the bridge and to actually connect without having a motive. And so I, I, I find that in my practice, I have a deep and genuine curiosity about people and about our collective healing that helps me through the, the otherwise triggering or troubling moments. And that my work has been much about who am I and who are you and who are we in relationship to each other? And how do I keep my feelings and emotions separate from your own sense of worry or trouble or anxiety? A big through line with our particular pod is around exploring this idea of our, you know, perfect imperfections. How do we get better at knowing when it makes sense to truly walk away versus recommit right to building community if that makes sense um and sometimes it can be pretty heady heavy historical trauma based stuff sometimes it can be petty little shit and i'm curious about your petty little shit so for instance i'll give you an example of my own (laughs) maybe i should give you an example of shandine's that would be more fun but uh, for my own, for instance, there are like these almost like um, cultural practices that we have and we engage in. And if you don't get down with some of those cultural practices, you can feel like you're not quite belonging. And nobody's ever told me I don't belong, but sometimes I can convince myself I don't because of what I'm seeing. And then I can kind of get a an attitude. Like, well, shit, I don't want to be here no way. <laughs> you know what I mean? These aren't my people kind of thing. And it's petty. And if I don't call it and recognize it, I can end up doing damage um, from the inside out. And so I'm wondering if you've been able to identify or if you ever find yourself grappling with any of those sorts of pieces i don't mean the big stuff where we can all easily agree like yeah that's problematic of course i'm wondering if there's anything smaller scale for you and maybe there's not and that's okay but i'm just curious i love this question and i'm really really trying to think about it and i at first i was like i'm not petty and then i just now i have too many to pick from and i don't actually know which one to share (laughs) Um, and so I often tell people the origin of language and the terms and the things that we use are conditional based on the place in which we are and the voices that need to be heard. And so, for example, the term BIPOC versus POC in some places, it's like POC is still what the term is like the, the common popular phrase In some places, it's BIPOC, because in those spaces, Black and Indigenous voices have said, we need 
to specifically be called out. And my example of the petty one is Latinx. And so I'm a Latina, identify as Latina, and people are Mm. like, well, why are you saying Latina, not Latinx? Why are you, like, not... And I'm saying... And and for me, it comes back to place. And I say, within the U.S. context, Latinx makes sense for second, third, other, you know, multi-generation folks who are living here who want to call out within the Latino community the gendered and... uh, and often not supportive of LGBTQ plus populations and to make this term gender neutral. And and I, I recognize that and I'm like, and that is something that is happening within the US context. And X doesn't translate in Spanish. So when I go home and I'm talking to like my tios y tías who like don't speak any English, that would not make any sense to them at all. And I think that my understanding of place as an impact, I get really frustrated when other people say there's a right and a wrong way, a good and a bad way. Like, there is a line. And I often wonder how much of dominant culture and and dominant culture imposing a right way is actually being reflected in our American consciousness to reflect and impose that on other Spanish-speaking places when X doesn't have a sound. I just have to say, if that's your petty, Delma and I are <laughs> fucked. Yeah. <laughs> just want to say, just want to name it. Well, you well- do. <laughs> well, Go ahead. I, so no, I was just going to ask, right? Because what? Then I was wondering, like, okay, so has that ever come up in some conversation somewhere? And you found yourself like, I didn't necessarily that feeling like I didn't mean to necessarily go down this path, but you took me there. The reason I identified this one as petty is because I will always have this conversation, even when the person is not inviting it, and they are not. They're not even trying to hook and I am trying to get them to hook. And I'm like, Mm. this is a me issue. Mm. This is like a me, like Mm. wanting to like be seen. Mm -hmm. This is a me wanting my tias and my tios to be seen. This is a me wanting like mi gente de Mm. origen, mi país to be seen. And it's not. So in a way I'm, I'm also hooking because I want to be right too. And that doesn't make sense because it's counter counter the way that I believe. And it's actually counter this argument. (laughs) Right. Right. It's the, it's the ask for sovereignty when you don't want to be asking invitation to nobody wants to talk about it. And I'm just like, no, we're talking about this. This is what we're doing now. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. In that, yeah. I love that petty. I love the petty. I bow down to that petty of, I'm going to talk about sovereignty and what it means to be in this context of Latinx, and you're going to fucking hear it. Period. Period. We want to invite you to hear, to, to, to lean into a really large question. Uh, a lot of the questions that we ask our guests, you answered in your 
when you when you opened with your student and came full circle to right now. And a lot of those are around building intentional community. How do you bring your particular wheelhouse to it? And you've answered all that. And so our, a final question as we come to a close is, actually, I'm going to give you the choice of which one you want to answer because I, I love them both and I want to hear answers to both of them. But one is, in a perfect world, what would we, could we do differently? And you can answer that with whatever you think the we means, whatever you think the world means. In a perfect world, what could or would we do differently? And that may also be part of an answer to question two, if you felt like answering that instead, which is, what's most present for you right now? Those are both enormous. <laughs> and, and, and I think that maybe my response is connected. And for any Wire fans out there, I am watching for the first time in my life. And I am on season five of The Wire. And last night I saw the episode where Cuddy and Dookie are having a conversation and... Cuddy's like, you know, there's more than Baltimore. The, the world is a much bigger place. And Dookie says, how do you get from here to the rest of the world? And I started bawling and I had to like pause the TV and I was eating and I had to spit my food out because I, I just needed to sob like full on like my mouth. My like, uh, like I, I needed, I needed my mouth available. I needed everything. I was, I had you an had ugly to, cry. I just, you had to ugly cry. All of it, and it was real ugly with the yeah, food, yeah, yeah. just you know, yeah. dripping. And my fiance turns and looks at me and is like, "What? What's happening? What? What just happened?" And 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 I was just like that question. How? the look in his eyes, how do I get from here to the rest of the world? Just shook me to my core. And it shook me because I think so much about how we show up is also a condition of our environment. And that, you know, full circle back to my student he and so many students were like, I have to be hard and I have to reject you before you reject me. And I have to be the smart aleck and I have to be tough because if I'm not, I'm going to get beat up on like Dookie, right? Like he was in Cuddy's boxing studio because he was like, I need to stop getting beat up on. I need to be tough. Like everybody else who's around me who needs to be tough. And it's just like, Cuddy was like, but you're not cut out for this you know, you have something else. You have brains, you have talents, you have gifts, you have, and Cuddy could see it, right? Like, so in a perfect world, we are seen, we are validated. I read a quote somewhere and I'm going to completely butcher it, but it said something like genuinely being listened to is so rare that when it happens, it is the closest feeling that 
in, in the physical human body that feels like love. And that a lot of times people confuse being listened to with being loved. And that to me says so much about how much we do not listen and therefore how much we miss and how much we do not see and understand about one another, that it is so rare that when we experience it, we think that we are in love or falling in love or that love is happening (laughs) in some form of this equation. Um, So I guess that's what's present with me and I'll just be like Cuddy and I'll wish and hope it. Really want to say thank you for joining us and, and taking out the time to spend some time with this. Um, I want to go ahead and get a commitment from you now to come back on another future episode. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, yes, you will I join am, us again. I someday, love yeah? this time. I had no idea what to expect. And I, <laughs> I was just like, Whoa, these are really big questions. And I've, I've appreciated that I can, you know, share off the top of my mind what what I'm experiencing in my body. Yeah, thank you for being willing to do that. So blessed, so moved. Um, my my, it feels warm. I just feel so warm right here. So thank you, Yana, for your time, your wisdom, your laughter. Thank you both. And your grace. Really grateful to share this time with both of you. Dive in Justice is a co-production of the Center for Whole Communities and Shoreline Consulting. The Center for Whole Communities exists to build capacity at the individual, organizational, and community level to deepen awareness, embrace differences, and value relationships, thus making change possible. Shoreline Consulting co-constructs solutions and strategies that align with your goals and leverages the voices, perspectives, and wisdom of those who stand to benefit. For more information on the Center for Whole Communities, find us at wholecommunities.org. For more information on Shoreline Consulting, visit us on the web at thinkshorelines.com. Shandine and I also want to thank Doug Fierenstein for his editing expertise, Susanna McCandless for administrative acumen, and Jenny Cotton for her marketing and promotion prowess. Without these folks, this show wouldn't be possible.